Okay, Father God, in Jesus' name, I pray that you take the words that I speak and that which is of you will be planted deep. Help me not to be frivolous with the time that we have here, but to speak truth and love and word to give nourishment for the hungry soul. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. Amen. <clears throat> for the last couple of um, weeks, Darren has been speaking about the early church from the view of historians, not just the Bible, but to try and show you guys that the stuff that happened in the early church actually did happen. It wasn't just a figment of the Bible's imagination, which is some of the things you can run into when you're dealing with unbelievers. But you see, we we are a church of believers here this morning, are we not? Give me a wave. Give me a wave. Okay. He's been speaking about the power of God that dwelled within the early church um, through gifts like prophecy, tongues, words of knowledge, signs, miracles, wonders, amazing worship. Thank you, darling. And um, he's been talking about how the church originally gathered together for believers to come together to learn about God, to speak about what Jesus had said, and to learn more from Jesus Christ himself. And you do need to understand that in those days, they did not have the New Testament. As Darren said last week, um, they were actually living it. Amen? So um, <clears throat> the idea that the church gathered together um, is, it was built on believers coming together. And if any unbelievers came into the meetings that they had, the expectation was that the spiritual giftings and the, and the presence of God would be so strong in the place it would cause these people to fall down on their faces and worship God and say God is in this place and come to a, a knowing and understanding that God is real. Amen. Um, he also spoke about the biggest and the greatest miracle that we witnessed is our own salvation. So who we were before we knew God and who we are now that we know God and this amazing transformation that takes place. So um, I just wanted to start a little bit. Um, so Keith and I got saved together about six months after we got married. We were both 21 years old and we had been seeking God for at least 12 months before. We had become really um, disenchanted with the lives that we led. Um, Keith was a, a major drug addict. Well, he actually wasn't really a drug addict. He was a drug dealer. He used to sell dope and stuff. And I, and I say that with no pride whatsoever. Um, I just think that person who Keith used to be no longer exists. It's weird. It's like telling a story about someone whom I don't really know, but I'm married to. Does that, seem, does that make sense to you guys? So Keith was caught up and um, he was involved with a, a bunch of people who were um, into bikey gangs and um, uh, he was involved in doing um, and working out with guys that did security um, on nightclub doors and stuff like that. So it was a pretty murky kind of background that we were in. And um, we, we just started thinking, you know, there must be more to life than this, than partying, you know, going to parties and getting drunk. I, I wasn't really a drinker. All the alcohol ever did to me was make me throw up, and so it was not really my thing. 
But Keith introduced me to smoking pot, and pot was a real big deal to me. It helped me to relax. It was the worst thing that I ever did because it also made me very paranoid as well. Anyway, so here are Keith and I, six months after we got married, on the brink of divorce. Okay? <laughs> and um, we had been talking to a friend that Keith had um, done his trades cert with, and he was a Christian, and we hadn't seen him for quite a long time, and we just decided, well, not, I can't do this anymore, and I don't want to lose you. I don't want to lose what we have. We need something. We need somebody. We'll go and see that friend of yours who told us about that Godie thing that he does. So we raced to their house. Unbeknownst to us, they were in the house, and this friend had been praying for us faithfully. And um, we hadn't seen him in a long, long time. It might have been more than six months, actually. And he was praying to God, him and his wife, and he said, okay, God, I'm, I'm not going to pray for them anymore. That's it. That's it. And then tap, tap, tap on the door. And it was us. And we came in and we said to him, Steve, Faye, um, we need to know this God. We don't, I don't want to know about him. I don't want to know about what he does. I want to know him. I want to know him. And so he took us. And our first miracle, our first expression of ever knowing God was in heartfelt prayer. And that's what I want to speak to you about this morning. Um, I've got a couple of scriptures towards the end of my message but I'm going to just share with you what prayer means to me. Um, like I said, prayer started for us um, meaningfully uh, when we got saved. Okay, And there's been times when we've been led by God. Um, he's spoken direction into our lives. And um, he's, he's caused us to do some pretty outrageous stuff as you guys have been on the journey with us. But he's been doing it for a long time. But those things don't just happen. Every direction, every miracle, every freedom that somebody gains um, because God has spoken to us about so they don't just kind of happen. They are soaked and, um, and covered constantly by this thing. Always, always, always by prayer. Always. Um, <clears throat> so in Waihe in New Zealand, Keith and I were pastoring and, and co-leading a church in Waihe for a while, and um, we were approached by uh, a parishioner who had a grand niece who was autistic and, and was just in a terrible way. She was very young. She was only about like seven or eight years old. Her mum wasn't well. She was a single mother, and, um, and this... This girl, they felt that this girl needed someone to go and lay hands on her and pray for her that Jesus would heal her. So, um, at the time, we, we would pray every week. So, Keith and I on Fridays would fast Friday day and then we would get together with a bunch of other friends and leaders and then we would spend the evening praying and then break our fast over a meal and just talk and chat about life, okay? And um, the week before we were going to pray for this young girl, um, we had an amazing um, prayer time. 
So in the middle of the prayer meeting, um, one of our friends, another pastor in the area, Mike Mears, he got a vision. He said, I don't know what this means, but uh, I see one of those um, wind socks, you know, the twirly ones that sort of, they're like a chromosome, or they might be, a, he said, it's like a chromosome, and it's blowing in the wind. He said, oh, I can see a lady dressed in an old-fashioned, long, flowery dress, like on Little House on the Prairie, standing on the deck. He says, I've got no idea what that means, and we thought, yeah, well, we don't either, and maybe that was a pizza dream, you know, because it was like, what a weird thing to state. Um, so about three days later, we were, we were going over to this, this lady's house to pray for her daughter, <clears throat> and it was down a driveway, we're driving down the driveway, and the front of her house is this big deck, and on her deck, there's all these wind um, socks that look like, you know, they're twirly. Do you know what I'm saying? And it was, like, really, really obvious, and, and, and we're, we're sitting there, and um, we were with, with, actually, Mike, and Mike goes, oh, my gosh, look. And then this lady walks out onto the deck and she's waving hello. And she was dressed like somebody out of Little House on the Prairie with a long floral dress with a frill down the bottom and puffy sleeves, the whole bit. And was like, whoa, okay, God has called us here. Um, I'm not going to tell you exactly what happened until towards the end, so you're going to have to wait. But we, we went in and, and we began to pray through the house. The lady, had, had, his daughter had been seeing monsters and stuff. So we went through the house and we, anoint, and we just gradually went around and we anointed all the entranceways, the windows and the doors and we prayed in every room and we went around until we got to the front door and um, closed it in Jesus' name and anointed it that this was a house for, the, um, for God and these people were for God. So it was pretty interesting. Um, in our early years, God spoke and also led us to Faith Bible College in Tauranga, New Zealand. Um, it wasn't something that we thought, yes, we must go to Bible college. You know, I, that's not how it worked. We had been praying consistently every week, two or three times a week. We're praying, asking God, um, Lord, show us the way. So one of the things I want to talk to you about prayer is prayer is not just the formal prayers that we pray together in a group. If you talk um, to anybody who is an intercessory prayer or into prayer and stuff like that, a lot of the prayer work that they do is in the, in the dark of the night, actually. Um, and um, they're, they're praying consistently for things, but it's not necessarily in a formal way. And for me, one of the things that I think that people forget is prayer is communication. It is the time that you take to say, hey God, da 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 and then guess what else you do? You stop and you listen and you wait for a response. I think in the world in which we live today, we have stopped listening. We have stopped stopping. We... we have um, a takeaway list of things that we pray for and we just burble it off and then we go off and do our every day. And we don't take the time to do the one thing, the one thing that prayer is most famous for and that's to hear the voice of God. To hear the voice of God. 
We had worship just before, and you could sense the presence of God in this place. Did you stop and say, what are you trying to say to me, God? See, we we have this mentality of prayer of the go-to, the go-to, go to God, pray to God, speak to God. But what about the listen? Where's the listen gone? When Keith and I first got married and we, and we first got saved, I used to drive him nuts because he, he is a prayer prayer, man. He's what I would call a powerhouse prayer. I'm pretty sure Darren's been taking lessons off him. Um, I remember Keith praying against Satan and he does, like Keith used to do Taekwondo and he did this sort of like um, kick. I knew he did the kick because he kicked my iron across the room. <laughs> You know, and that's the kind of prayer that Keith is. Me, I, I'm, not, I'm not that physical, but I, I, I will quite happily sit and wait in silence for God. At first, it caused the major problem when we used to pray together because Keith would say, you're not saying anything, you're not saying anything. And I said to him, I don't have to. You know, I'm waiting for God to say something to me. But we finally, after um, many, well, not many years, about three or four years, we, we came to this conclusion that everybody has their own way in communicating with God. Um, Keith's, Keith's a, a loud, he's a real stormer, okay? He, he prays in authority and he storms the heights. Um, I can and I do when I have to, but my, my preference is to wait on God. And waiting on God is not necessarily sitting in a quiet, shut-up room. It might be that I'm praying and I'm waiting on an answer for him. So I'll be going through the day and I might go to the kitchen sink and go, God, don't forget, I haven't forgot, you won't, aren't going to forget, I've talked to you about this, I need an answer. I, 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 I'm communicating and I've learned to communicate with God as if he hears me. How funny is that? As if he hears me. We went to Bible College in Tauranga, Faith Bible College in Tauranga. We did a stint there. Um, we ended up going to Mexico for an, uh, for an outreach trip. I don't know how we did it, okay? Someone came and this guy came and he spoke about going to, to Mexico and we thought, that's the place we should go. And we went. We'd never been overseas before in our entire lives. And um, it felt right. We, we were in communion with God so much in Bible College that... The, the understanding and the, and the knowledge of being able to say that, that that's got the stamp of God on it was very, very clear to us. You know, when you're in constant communication with God, you don't have to shout at him. And guess what? He don't have to shout at you. You just hear him. You just hear him. Okay. Um, there was a time um, during Bible college where pre- they have a prayer house at, at Welcome Bay. And it's a, um, like a chapel set up specifically for prayer. And um, I was having a bad night one night. And I went in and I'm praying and praying, 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 praying. And I'm going, you know, God, what is going on? What is wrong with me? And he said, you are full of unforgiveness. I was shocked. I was absolutely shocked. What do you mean I'm full of unforgiveness? I'm at Bible college. Excuse me? I'm telling God off. What do you mean? How can I be full of unforgiveness? You know, he says, and then he said, and your resentment. You've got resentment on your heart as well. 
And um, I prayed through, and, and it was to do with stuff to do with Keith's and my relationship, where I had verbally forgiven him, but every time he annoyed me, I would think in my heart, oh, well, what do you expect? He did that then. Why would he not do it, you know? I had not forgiven him. I had verbally said it, but I had not done it. And it, it really, really, it really, oh, gosh, it brought me to my knees because I thought I was righteous. I really did. I thought the fact that I prayed so much and that I read the Bible and that I went to a Bible college even and I was outreaching and getting people saved, getting people healed, man, set free, and I thought that I was righteous, that my righteousness was my own. And it took me a series of time. It wasn't just something that happened then. For me to come to the understanding that my righteousness is as filthy rags. When I come to the Father, my righteousness is worthless. I'm sorry, I don't care how well trained you are. I don't care how well educated you are, nor how much work you do for the kingdom of God. We come into the presence of God in prayer under one thing and one thing only the righteousness of the blood of Jesus Christ that covers us. Amen? So you can be an absolute derelict and get saved and the next day be in the kingdom of God. Do you know how messed up that feels sometimes? We had a young lady, well, an older lady, I can't remember her full name, it was Margie. She had cerebral palsy at Bible college. And... um, She was in a wheelchair and had multiple operations done and and she was an amazing lady and she got up and she spoke and she spoke about how she went to the United States, someone paid for for her to go and be prayed for by, who's the lady with the floaty arms? Oh, Benny Hinn followed her. Oh, I've forgotten her name. Catherine Coleman. My goodness me, guys, Catherine Coleman had the highest percentage rate, I mean, I know this is statistics, of amazing miracles of, of a modern-day preacher. And, and to top it off, she was a woman, which annoyed a lot of males at the time, by the way. <clears throat> but this lady, Margie, was, was paid for to go and be prayed for by Catherine Coleman to be healed. She bought herself a beautiful outfit, um, and had all her stuff ready to get into when she got healed. Um, she cut, they brought her into the auditorium, um, and she went up, and she was prayed for, laid hands on, and um, there was a drunk guy next to her. And there was, um, a, an, I don't know if they were an alcoholic, but some kind of addiction on the other side. And Catherine Coleman came to her in her wheelchair, and she laid hands on her, and she prayed for her. And Margie felt the touch of God. She felt the touch of God. And then Margaret Coleman, she prayed for the the man before her and prayed for the man after her. Both of those men got completely and totally cleaned of the addiction straight away, instantly. Their forms changed. They stood up straight with their shoulders back. Their faces cleared. And, And there was an aroma coming off them that was sweet, not yucky. And if you, you'll understand that. You know, and she's sitting there and she felt the touch of God and she was not healed. 
What you pray for is not a grocery list of things that you want God to do. You know that thing, prayer is the mighty muscle that moves the hand of God? Hogwash, garbage, rubbish. We are not here on this earth to pray and tell God what he should do. Can you even think of how whacked out that sounds? Have you ever thought of that? Oh, Lord, I want this. Lord, this needs to happen. Oh, that needs to happen. Blah, 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 blah. That's not communication with God. That's treating him like a, like a, like a slave. That's not God. You go to God in prayer to get into community with him and commune with him and communicate with him so he can lead and guide you. Before Keith and I got married, I always thought I wanted to have eight kids, and I so desperately wanted a large family. Got no idea why, but that's what I wanted. And Keith and I got married uh, when I was 21, and I didn't have my first child until I was 29. Um, I prayed, man. I prayed for six years consistently. I can remember lying face down on the floor with my arms stretched out, begging God for a child. Six years, and I gave up. I thought, okay, that's it, not going to happen. And I, I, I mapped out a whole plan where I was going to become Keith and I. Keith and I were going to become missionaries somewhere in the world or everywhere in the world, and I'd just mother every child that came within my sphere of influence, right? I gave up. I gave up. But God didn't. You know, um, Two years after I'd given up, I find out that I'm pregnant. I first thought that I had cancer because I was so sick. I'd fainted when I was doing banking. And I've, I've shared this stuff with you before. But what I need you to understand is prayer is not us going to God, telling God what he should do. Prayer is us communicating with God so that he can open our hearts and our lives and our minds and our spirits and our souls to the greatness of God and the amazing things that he can do in and through us if we will only let him. God never gave up on me and I had my first son on the um, 9th, sorry, 8th of August, 1990. And then I had another boy um, a year and three weeks later. Then I had a little girl two years after, no, three years after that. And then another little girl two years after that. And in between all that, um, I, I had multiple miscarriages. And I was really angry at God over the miscarriages because it was like, you know, God, what are you doing? Don't you think I'm good enough? And my prayer life started to, to swirl around this whole thing of, you know, God, what is going on? How come you're not just, you know, um, letting me have eight children? I had four children, then I had to stop because it became too dangerous for my health, blah, blah, burble, burble. And I was angry at God, and I spent a year um, following Keith around New Zealand because we were living in a bus at the time. Sorry. Sorry, darling. Mobile home. We were living, living in a mobile home with our, our kids and um, traveling around doing itinerant ministry, okay? And I was really mad at Keith 
because it was all his fault. I wasn't exactly sure why, but it must be because I can't blame God because God's never wrong. So it must be Keith's fault. I came to this, and I've spoken about this before as well. I was desperate. I knew that I was headed for a mental crash. I knew it. I could feel it, but I didn't know what to do, and I was desperate. And I'm crying out to God and went to a friend's place, and she said, oh, we've got a you know, minister's wives and, and senior leaders um, camp on this weekend. You want to come? Blah, blah, blah. It's prophetic. And I thought, right. Right. Here's your opportunity, God. I've made an appointment for you, and you better show up. Honestly, that was my attitude. Um, I went to the meeting. Nobody prophesied over me, but everybody else got prophesied over the first meeting. The second meeting, I got up in the morning, and I was snarky at God big time, big time. Got up, and I went for a walk, and we were in Mount Somerville, I think it is, in the South Island. It's very, very beautiful. And I went for a walk, and I'm, I'm walking along the road, and, and see, prayer does this weird thing. It makes you aware of God's voice, but it's not, it's not like a loud, like it's not like a loud voice, like everyone else can hear it, that's not what I mean, it's like he speaks to you, and you know it's him, and you know he's speaking, so I'm walking along the road, and, and you know, I'm going, you know, God, what is going on, you know, what, why aren't you speaking to me, and he said to me, look around you, so I looked, and I've, I've shared this before as well, I looked, and um, he said, no, look, I saw, you know, sheep in a field, fence on the side of the road, road going off to here, and I'm going, well, what do you want me to look at? It's like, you know, sheep. And he said, no, and then he, it was like he shouted, look, and when he said look, it was like I did this weird, it was like my, my, my vision zoomed back, and suddenly I saw everything, and I realized that I'd been walking in the shadow of Mount Somerville, which was really huge, and was right in front of me, but I couldn't see it. I couldn't see it. And God said, that is me. Every shadow that you have walked in, I have been there with you. And as I prayed and communed and talked with God, he set me free from this weird um, depression, anger at Keith, unforgiveness, unforgiveness to God. I, would, I refused to sing for 12 months. Would not sing a single note because I thought, I'm not wasting my God-given talent on you, God. Can you see what I mean? God is okay to listen to your nonsense. I'm sorry, you know, like, we don't have to sound like, oh, Father God, I come before you now in the presence of these people, and I ask you, Lord, I ask you, Lord. You know, all, all, the, all the voices and, the, and the, the way that you speak, he is, he's not interested in that. He wants your heart. He wants you to pray from the heart. He wants you to stop hiding in the shadows. And he wants you to pray, to pray. We began an outreach in South Auckland quite a few years ago. Had no children. Oh, no, we had two kids at, at the time, um, Zach and Izzy. We would go along and um, I'd take these little, because they were quite small, um, sleeping bags with me and I'd feed them and you know, and make them go to sleep and put them to sleep under our chair and, and then you know, Keith would get up and preach and then he'd come down and, and watch them or hold on to one of them and, and then I'd race up and lead worship and come down and then I'd breastfeed the both. I mean, that was normal for us, okay? And in this outreach, um, a number of young men and women got saved. 
um, and their lives were, were incredibly changed. It was in South Auckland. It was a pretty, pretty dark place where they lived. <clears throat> and, you know, it was things like, oh, where, where's Josh today? Oh, he's in jail. He got done for carving his initials on someone's back. What? <laughs> what? Like, they, they were pretty rough, okay? A few years ago, we went back there and they, um, they you know, we had the ple- or I went back there with my sister and I had the pleasure of meeting and speaking with a number of those young guys and, and, and women who have gone on to follow Christ. And, you know, um, one's a pastor, one's a youth pastor, one does um, alpha courses in his church, and they are doing really well. Do you know, that did not start because we had a good idea or Keith had a good idea. It's because we were already meeting together and praying. Our whole life has been punctuated by prayer meetings, (laughs) but not because we want to have a prayer meeting, but because we desperately need to stay in contact with God. We, we need him to tell us what to do so we don't go off and do dopey things in our own strength. So um, I can remember Keith being in Africa and ringing me up and said, you're not going to believe me. Guess what happened? I said, what? And he said, you know how we've been talking about doing, we're doing, talking about doing honey hives and, and setting up honey hives in Uganda as a form of income and to help um, uh, feed our guys over there, right? And Keith had gone to a, <clears throat> uh, an outlying church and um, a hive of bees had decided to move and they were buzzing around inside the church looking for a place to live. But it meant that, no, and you know, there's bees and then there's African bees, guys. <laughs> They're slightly different, all right? <laughs> and um, he said, he, said he, he arrived at the meeting place to, to do the meeting, and everyone's outside, and he's going, what's, you know, Keith, what's going on? You should all be in there now. And um, they said, oh, we can't. There's a hive of bees in there. So Keith thought, oh, this isn't. He goes and he goes, um, oh, what do you say? Oh, bees, um, go home. And they left. <laughs> and, and like everybody's standing outside looking at him, And he's going, oh my gosh, it worked. (laughs) It wasn't anything that he'd sort of psyched himself up for. And then the people are going, oh, oh, the Masungu man of God, he speaks and bees listen. (laughs) You know, he'd been in prayer for many nights before that. Not because he had to tell the bees. He was trying to figure out how could he connect. Because, you know, it's very easy for me to sit here or to stand here or to go to Africa or, or wherever it is that we may go and speak. But it's like, yeah, I've, got to, I've, got to, I've got to get a connection before I can input. Do you know what I mean? You know, a lot of people will sit here and they'll quietly be politely listening. That's about it. But that's not enough. God wants you to hear his voice. He wants you to hear his heart. Another outreach we did in, in um, just out of Kampala with Pastor Jonah, um, it had stormed, and it was a really stormy night. I, I got up, and uh, Stephen and I had led worship. It was really powerful worship, and then as worship happened, everything started blowing, and we had all these, you know, the stage was wobbling, and it was like, oh my gosh, and Keith's leaning over to Jonah going, Jonah, man, what should I do? And Pastor Jonah went, <laughs> oh, I don't know. So Keith stood up, 
The first words, I bind you, storm, in the name of Jesus Christ. Be gone. And the craziest thing happened. It was like the eye of the storm came over where we were. We could see the trees whirling around us, but there was not a breath of wind where we were. And Keith preached a message about witchcraft and how to get set free from it. We had a really successful night. See, these things don't happen just because Keith and I are super good or super whatever. I believe that the reason that God chooses to move on people is because they choose to listen to him. I believe that God speaks into people's lives and brings about changes in their family and, and in their, their general life. It might be in their workplaces. But he does that not because you told him he had to, but because he cares and loves you enough to do that. But how can you know that God has done something if you didn't pray about it and didn't talk to him about it? Oh, yeah, God did it. You can't live on that. You must have this outworking of your faith come to reality because that's what pushes Keith and I on. That's what presses us on. Prayer is what brought us to Australia. I'm really sorry, guys, but Australia was the last place that I thought God was going to send us to. Well, I thought he was sending us to Brazil or Mexico, you know, like one of those really sort of, woo, so I, I'm a missionary and da-da-da-da, you know? I'm really sorry, but I'm a missionary and Yarrawonga just does not have the ring. I'm sorry, but guess what? This place is a hub from which God has touched your lives and touched many, many lives, um, in other parts of Australia, but in Africa, in Uganda in particular, we have changed destinies through the power of God, through God speaking into us. Every time you give into the missionary fund or you do work here at the church that allows us to grow, you know, God uses you and uses us, not like batteries. We're not batteries. He uses us as much loved and cared for and um, honoured children of God. Prayer is how we became involved in Uganda. Prayer is how some, I mean, I can look at faces and I, I, there's some faces that I can look at. There's two over there. You came here because of prayer. You got saved because of prayer. How amazing is that? Oh, my gosh. Families' lives have been changed. People's futures have been expanded to beyond what they ever thought they would be through... bit louder. Thank you. For as long as we've been here, there's always been pre-service prayer. Did you know that? It didn't just suddenly start. It's been going on since we first go here. Um, Boydie's mum, stepdad, I remember praying for you guys um, the first year that we were here. Second year, maybe? First or second year that we were here. I remember Faith. I remember Corey, man. 
on his knees. Because before that was the offices and the, the children's church, upstairs used to be just this weird little room that was up there. And we called it the upper room. <laughs> and in pre-service prayer, we'd go up there and pray. I can remember praying for you guys. I can remember praying for Sean to get a wife. I can remember, I can remember praying for, I, I, you know, like it's amazing what prayer does. I just want to uh, give you, you know, I started off talking to you about um, the young girl that we went to pray for who had, um, uh, who was autistic. So we knew we were there and it was the right place because our friend had had that crazy vision and we went in and we prayed through the house. Uh, The little girl we laid hands on her and prayed for her, but we were very, very careful because you don't want to frighten her. And autism can do that sometimes. They don't understand what you're doing, so we were very gentle and careful. And we prayed for her, and it was okay, and she seemed to be fine. Then we went into the kitchen, and we were having a cup of tea with the, with the mum, and Keith just said suddenly, starts tapping his hands like this, he goes, do you need prayer? And she said, why? And he said, no, no, do you need prayer for healing? And she just broke down crying. So she had been um, diagnosed with breast cancer. And um, the next day, she had um, another set of tests and, um, and x-rays and stuff to be done prior to her going in to have the cancer removed and they weren't sure if it was going to go well or not. And um, Keith called us, there was myself and another couple, came together and we laid hands on this woman and we prayed for her. I can't, the prayers we prayed were not particularly powerful, but man, could we, I could feel the power of God. And, and the power of God just, it, it didn't hit her, it just flowed over her. And we could have, must have prayed for at least five minutes, ten minutes. It wasn't like a three-hour-long vigil thing. It was like five or ten minutes. Um, prayed peace over her house, peace over her family, and then we left. Um, two days later, we get a phone call from her relative that had asked her to go and pray for her in the first place. You're not going to believe this. What, what? She's got, the lumps have disappeared. She's been and had all the tests done and the lumps have gone. There's no no cancer in her blood. She is completely and totally free. There's nothing there. Um, She's going to have tests next week. But this is a miracle. This is a miracle. And you know, Sometimes God gets us into position by prayer so that he can use us to pour out his power, even though we don't know why we're actually there. We went to that place to pray for a little girl. We knew it was the right place because of the dream that a member of our our, our friends had at the prayer meeting. We knew it was the right place, but we thought we were going there to pray for the little girl. Well, we did. We prayed for the little girl. We prayed for the house. But I honestly believe that God was just trying to get us there to pray for the mum because mum was too scared to ask for help. You know, and, and when, we, when, when stuff happens, one of the things about prayer that we need to understand is that 
If you want God to move in your family, if you want him to change your workplace or the circumstances in which you're living, if you want him to move as powerfully in this church as he did in in the early church, in the Acts church, if you want him to change this town, this region, this nation, or the nations of the world, the only way I know that that can start is by what? Prayer. So Ephesians 3.20 says in the NIV, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. You know, how? go to God. You have a need. Go to God. When he answers that need and brings answers, go and thank him, please. Thank him. Spend some time in communication with God other than to do just the, the supermarket list. Stop it. Stop treating your relationship with God as a, an add-on, an, an app that you can click into whenever you feel like it because it don't work like that. James 5.16 says in the Amplified, this is in the Amplified version, the earnest, heartfelt, continuous prayer of a righteous man or woman makes tremendous power available, dynamic in its working. You want that power? then you better learn how to get on your knees and on your face before God. It's not just physical. Because, you know, just because someone's on their knees doesn't mean they're praying. Keith used to go to sleep all the time. <laughs> you know, and then wake up praying again. It's, a, it's about the heart attitude that you have to God. Being humble, but not, you know, not, not greasy. <laughs> Wanting, but not demanding. Knowing that he's your father and you're his inheritor does not give you a right to treat him like trash. Amen? So I'm going to remind you, and you don't have to come, okay? But if you want to see the power of God move, then at 9.20 on Sundays, we have pre-service prayers here in the auditorium. Um, We've just started bringing them into the auditorium and it feels a bit strange for me because I've always been used to a small place shut off. And so we're working it out how prayer works. There's no general pecking order of who goes first, but usually the preacher or the leader of the church does because they feel like they have to say something. No, I'm only kidding. But, you know, there's, there's no real sort of, it's not like we don't have a list of things that we have to pray for. We come and we pray, and and for us, there's been this incredible sense of something. Who knows that feeling if there's something going on? Something? Do I know what it is? No. But there's something going on in the Spirit of God. He's shifting He's rearranging. He's hovering. And if we want to be and see 
what God is going to do, then we need to pray it. Okay? We need to pray it. We need to talk to him. We need to communicate with him. So at 9.20, and that's not the only time you can pray, okay? Um, on Fridays, get together with somebody, have a lunch break and pray. Um, probably when Keith comes back, we're going to go back to our thing of, of fasting on a Friday and praying and then, then breaking the fast on a Friday night. Simply, not, not because we have to, but because can, we can feel something going on in the spirit. Feel something for Ignite Life Churches, for Uganda, for Cobram. For the, we can feel it, but we don't know what it is. So we're going we're gonna to knuckle down. So Keith and I are going away for a three-week three break with Jerusha and Travis. We're going to go to Spain and have a look around. And um, in that time, because, you know, like for me, going away gets me up from under. Being a leader in a place means, means we're constantly being bombarded by spiritual stuff. And that's life. It's okay. Don't worry. I'm not under attack or anything weird. But I know that I need to get away so I can clear my head to hear God. You know, um, when you go away from this place um, for a holiday, take some time out and have a chat to God about what's going on. Because I tell you what, it's, for some reason when you go away, it's a lot clearer. Um, this hovering, this sense of God's doing something is so strong that it's causing uh, a number of our friends who, who um, call in and, and watch our, our live stream to, to seek God's face for us as well. We are just so blessed to have people who, who do that for us. And so I'm, I'm, I'm going to give you an opportunity. I'd like everybody to bow your head. You can kneel if you want to, but I can't because then I can't get up, <coughs> simply because of the way things are. <coughs> Just remember, I used to be in a wheelchair, so I'm, I'm getting better. I am better. Actually, I am healed. So I just bow your heads. Lord God, oh, sorry, repeat after me, and then I'm going to give us a space of time to just pray, all right? So, Father God. I ask you to renew that fire within me to seek your face and pray. I want to know what you know. Not because I'm a nuisance, because I want to be effective for you. Touch my family. Touch my community. Touch my life. In Jesus' name I pray. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.